Shatter the silence, mighty God, with your glad and glorious greetings. Banish all our fears and give us faith in Jesus Christ, the risen Lord. If there is anything said from this pulpit that is against your will, let it come to naught and do no harm. But if there is anything said from this pulpit that is according to your will, let it be heard, as if sung by the voice of angels, that hearing we might believe and believing obey. Amen. Do you remember your first job? I remember my first job. I remember the day I got my first job. I was sitting in my living room as a high school freshman. I was minding my own business. And the telephone rang. And my father answered it. And I waited a few moments and then my father said, sure, Nate can do that. And then he came and he told me that that summer I would be doing firewood with Bobby Wilder. There was no application, no conversation about my compensation. I just had a job. I'd be working with Bobby Wilder who was in his 70s, a, f a former and retired logger, but still really good with a chainsaw. So he would spend the morning cutting the logs and I would roll or lug what he had cut to the hydraulic arm of the wood splitter and then he would split the wood. We did that every day that summer, every day. <laughs> we woke up, we split the wood and then in the afternoon we loaded the wood onto a truck and then we delivered it cord upon cord of firewood all summer. Most days it was just the two of us, but every now and then he would invite a friend to come along. Handlebars was his name. At least that's what I called him. Maybe no one else called him that. And I called him that because he had one of those bushy mustaches, you know. He was about Bobby's age, grew up with Bobby. And I loved when handlebars came to work with us at the firewood pile because it always meant that there would be an entertaining argument between the two of them at some point in the day. And it went something like this. They peered over the pile, and then Bobby would say, now remember, I'm from Maine. I think you'll find we've got about three cord there. And then handlebars would say, I don't think so, Bobby. I think you'll find we got three and a half cord there. <laughs> Bobby would kind of look at him. No, no, I do think you'll find that. And they'd go on and on. And I found that hilarious. <laughs> and you're thinking, Nate, you're way too easily entertained. <laughs> but what I loved about it is that there was so much more going on between these two men beneath the surface. They'd grown up together. They were arguing about firewood, but actually they were reliving debates that they'd had for years. Debates about the best chainsaw, or the best high school quarterback from that small town, or where to get the best ham sandwich. There was so much going on between them. So much more going on between them. 
I bet you have relationships like that. A friend that you've had for years that you can just pick up with at a moment's notice. Or an adversary that makes your skin crawl. Not because of what they say or do, but because of what they have said or done in the past. A relative that can finish your sentences. All of these because there's so much more going on between you. This is the way it is with Mary and Elizabeth this morning too. There's so much more going on between them. It's really easy to miss it completely. At first glance, Luke, the gospel writer, is telling this story about a happy family reunion between these two women with surprise pregnancies. Mary strolls into town. She needs a place to stay. She needs some moral support. Elizabeth greets her as cousins are meant to do. They, they share joys. They exchange hugs. They tell long stories. And that's it. A nice, happy family reunion. But the earliest readers of this text, they would have been reading this closely. And they would have seen that there is something more going on. You want to know what it is? Do you? My wife does. <laughs> to begin with, you have to know about the Ark of the Covenant. Are you familiar with the Ark of the Covenant? Beyond Indiana Jones? <laughs> the Ark was this three-foot box, and it was carried around by priests and armed men. And the only person that could see it without its covering was the highest of priests. What was in this three-foot box? Well, that's disputed. Maybe it was the Ten Commandments or the Rod of Aaron or a pot of manna. But what was really important is that the community believed that the Ark of the Covenant carried the very presence of God. Moses was told to build the Ark, just like Noah was. It's actually the same Hebrew word. And that same Hebrew word is used to describe the basket that Moses was put in when he was put into the river. So an important word there. He was told to build the ark, only a much smaller one, and it didn't carry animals. Again, it was carried around. It was carried around from site to site until Joshua, who was Moses' successor, secured the ark in Shiloh. And there it stayed for 200 years until it was captured by the Philistines. And the ark never makes it to Jerusalem until the time of King David. And in 2 Samuel 6, we read about how the ark is brought into Jerusalem. And that is where the story of the ark intersects with today's visitation from Mary. Because there are undeniable parallels that exist between those two stories. See, in 2 Samuel 6, when the Ark of the Covenant is brought into Jerusalem, do you know what David says? How is it that the Ark of the Lord has come to me? What does Elizabeth say today? How is it that the mother of the Lord has come to me? In both passages, there are shouts of joy. 
Before the ark makes its way to Jerusalem, it stays at the home of Obed-Edom for three months, and then his household is blessed. How long do you think Mary stays at the house of Elizabeth? Three months, and her household is blessed. When David sees the ark come into Jerusalem, do you know what he does? He leaps and he dances for joy. Do you remember what the unborn child in Elizabeth's womb does when Mary enters the room? He leaps. So you can see. When David welcomes the ark into Jerusalem, we are seeing a foreshadowing of what happens when Mary enters the home of Elizabeth. And remember, when this text takes place, they haven't seen the ark since the 6th century BC when the community was sent off into Babylonian exile. And they've recovered a lot as a community since then, but they have not recovered the ark of the covenant. And so when they read this text, when they hear this story for the first time, do you know what they hear? It's back. The presence of God is back. Only now it isn't going to be carried by a military vanguard, it's carried in the womb of this young woman. Now this is not to suggest that we should fixate on Mary or idolize her. There's been this, no, if you've heard of it, long argument between Protestants and Catholics about Mary. And we could unpack that. But that would turn this sermon from 15 minutes to 500 years. And I know you all have Christmas shopping yet to do. But suffice it to say, for today, there is so much more going on between the two of them, and it's easy to miss it completely. And so it is with so much of how we experience God in this world. There's so much more going on. There's so much more going on between us and God, and it doesn't take much to miss it completely. It is as if Shakespeare was right, I think, in describing the world as a stage, and that men and women were merely players on the stage. But I also think it is as if we stand at the front of the stage with the curtain behind us, closed, and we pretend as if this is all that there is to life. What we see, the action before us, the props that we hold in our hands, the set pieces that we have acquired. But there's so much more going on behind the curtain. God's great activity of creating and shaping and loving us and setting us up for the next act. We hardly pay attention to all that God is doing even when he gets really loud. There is enough for us to worry about right here, the front of the stage, as this walking shadow, a poor player that struts and frets his hour upon the stage and then is heard no more. There is enough right here in front of us. But every now and again, the curtain is pulled back Hold back for us. I've seen it more often than not at the time of death when someone that we love dies. The curtain.
curtain gets pulled back and we begin to notice God's activity in a way that we hadn't noticed before. The red cardinal that shows up in the backyard and reminds us of mom. The eagle that flies over the lake and reminds us of dad. Or the familiar song that gets played and it brings someone back to life. God is always doing these things. It's just that in those moments, the curtain gets pulled back and we notice, we pay attention. God is always doing these things. There's more going on than we know. It's just that it doesn't take much for us to miss it completely. There is an entire world of creation going on behind the curtain. And so, one more time, we return to Shakespeare because I believe he illustrates that so well in the story of Romeo and Juliet. The story of star-crossed lovers who meet their ends because they can't see that there's more going on. The Montagues and the Capulets can't see, right, the love shared between the two. The friar can't see that his meddling is going to come to disaster. Juliet can't see that Romeo hasn't received the letter. Romeo can't see that Juliet isn't gone. And so this love story becomes a woe story because everyone's rushing around life not appreciating that there's more going on. There is so much more going on. There's so much more going on between you and God. You may be strutting and fretting. You may be rushing. Are you rushing? Are you rushing? You may only see the stage that's right before you. The props in your hand, the set pieces you've acquired, there's more going on. You may see your life as drama, the echo of dialogue, the characters, heroes and villains entering stage right and stage left, but there's more going on. You may only see a story of woe, but there is more going on. And you will probably do what most of us do. You will look back on your life some years from now and you will notice what God was doing all along. And you will wonder to yourself, how did I miss it? How did I miss what God was doing behind the curtain? And you will wonder, did I miss my chance to respond with gratitude and hospitality and joy and welcome and love? Did I miss that? But if we could only see, like if Romeo and Juliet could only see what is really going on, well then imagine what life could be like. And if you want that for your life, if you want a connection to what God is doing, and I hope you do, allow me to give you 
your first job without application nor any conversation about your compensation. Relax, it's not firewood, but it will take you outside to join up with the Magi and follow the star. Because this child, the one that Mary carries, there's so much more going on with him. And as we watch him grow and serve and heal and sacrifice and die and rise again, we are going to learn that the greatest love story ever told is not star-crossed, it is star-lit. Amen.